Well, we are going to take a look at Romans chapter 8 today. So if you have your Bible, you want to open it or you want to turn it on. However you access the scriptures uh, today, we uh, would lead you to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. I had planned to share this message some time ago. And here this week, being kind of laid low through the week, uh, trying to get through this uh, head cold and and, uh, whatnot that uh, I was dealing with. I kind of relate to what this passage has to say, even even more so, as it's talking about suffering. How you know if you've if you've been uh, sick with uh, whatever it is going around, how many know that you you uh, understand suffering a little bit better, right? <laughs> that is that is kind of a um, not an understatement, but uh, anyways, we uh, want to read Romans chapter eight, verse uh, eighteen through twenty three. Paul writes, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. Now, Paul, you're talking about several things here that, that uh, once we kind of uh, get a grasp of, we, we understand a little bit more. I, I don't know, and if you have ever felt sort of lack or a um, wistfulness, maybe, maybe everything in your life is okay, everything is going generally well, you're employed, you have a nice home, or your family, and all of those things, but you still feel somehow you are missing something in your life. And, and you're a Christian, I'm not saying that you know, you're not a Christian or anything like that, but it just feels like something's missing. I, I think that's what Paul is talking about here in this uh, passage of Scripture, and I think especially at times when we are experiencing some, some sort of suffering, and, and suffering can be all kinds of ways that we can suffer, you know, emotionally and, and uh, of course, physically, uh, we can experience suffering. But it kind of puts us in uh, knowledge of, of sometimes how even in the best of times or sometimes in the worst of times, that there's something not right, something we are missing. I, I want to uh, maybe explore that a little bit today. What, what is that? What is this, this whole idea of, and we'll see it sprinkled throughout the New Testament, we'll look at uh, a few different scriptures today, this groaning that uh, Paul talks about. And uh, uh, here in uh, Romans eight twenty two. Paul says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Even the creation, even the world 
has this sort of groaning. And, uh, you know, there are times where you and I groan because of something I just kind of have taken a special notice of of myself in this whole idea of groaning. It takes me about half the distance across the room if I've been sitting down, to straighten back up again. If you're over 60 years of age or whatever, you probably understand exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And there's always a little groaning that goes along with that. But, you know, making light of uh, some of this, uh, obviously. But but there are times where we we do groan. And, And because we know something isn't right or you know, life isn't the way it should be. We experience that, I think, all of the time and, and may not even recognize it for what it is. And I, th- I believe this, is that whether you're Christian or whether you're not a Christian, we all experience this kind of groaning, if you will, that, that is an expression of our own soul for a longing for heaven, okay? Sometimes, even in the best of times, you know, we still experience a longing for life the way it should be. Life isn't always the way it should be, and certainly there are aspects of life we could point to at any moment. Uh, Like we are aware of the war that is happening between Gaza and Israel uh, at this very moment. That should not be. The loss of life should not be. We know that that isn't right. And uh, in, in, in a sense that causes us to groan because it shouldn't be this way. We uh, sometimes don't know how to understand that longing in our, in our own hearts and even as believers. I believe Paul in this passage of Romans 8 here is addressing a phenomenon which I think especially affects the believer. And that, that's that longing and yearning for heaven, which is the next destination after this life. Um, I, don't, I, I also believe that it affects the non-believer, even if they don't know what they are yearning for. You know, God created us for a perfect world. Now, if you read the opening chapters of Genesis, chap, chapter 1, chapter 2 of Genesis, you, you read of the creation that God made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that creation, there was nothing lacking. There was nothing broken. There was nothing that was out of balance. It was in perfect harmony. That is the world that you and I were designed for, okay? That's the world that you and I are supposed to be living in, but... Of course, sin entered the world, and it, uh, and it changed everything. How, uh, how can I bring an analogy to this? Um, if we could liken ourselves, our, our bodies and our minds and spirits, as maybe designed as a high-intensity uh, racing car, okay? So maybe you could go 220 miles an hour, okay? Now that... It would be how you are designed. If you were designed as a 220 mile an hour racing car, that would be your best and highest purpose in, in going fast. But you'd have to have the right environment for that, right? You'd have to have smooth 
uh, roads, you'd have to have, you know, a track or whatever that uh, would allow that to happen. Um, but picture ourselves now as that highly tuned, fast racing car, and an earthquake happens, and it buckles all of the pavement uh, that uh, we have been riding on, okay? And, uh, and what does that do to our situation? Well, it changes everything, doesn't it? Now, the, the car itself, uh, you know, is fine, but it cannot operate in the manner for which it was designed because the environment that it was that it would uh, perform best in has been broken. That's kind of the, the picture, if you will, maybe not be a great picture that I painted for you here, but God created us for a perfect world. Sin entered that world and broke everything in it, and it affects you and I and how we live in that. We were not designed for the world in which we live. We were designed for the one that was created for us, but when sin came in and broke everything, there's nothing that, that uh, we experience today that hasn't been affected by sin. It has affected the way that we live in this world. I think it's important for us to understand that the way in which God created us, it explains the longing that we have at times. You know, it is built into us to want meaningful life without pain. How many would love a life without pain? Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm all on board for that. That's the, that's the world that God created for us. The world that God created for us was a, was a world without pain. Obviously, we don't have that world right now. But we want a life that's meaningful. We want a life without pain, uh, physical or mental or emotional pain. Uh, we long for a life that is simple to understand and not complicated and fraught with difficulty. How many groan, if you will, and put that in quotes, how many groan when life gets unnecessarily complicated? Hmm? Yeah, the drama and, you know, things that are going on. We weren't created for that. Why does that wear us out? Why, why do we have difficulty with, with uh scenarios and situations like that is because we weren't designed for that. And yet here it is, we live with it uh, because the world in which we live is not the one for which we were created for. I sometimes watch my uh, grandchildren with envy and uh, I want to live their lives. You know what I mean? You know, they, they give me a lot of joy because they take joy in some of the simplest things. You know, swinging on a swing set, running in the backyard, having a dog, mommy and daddy being able to fix everything, all the things that go wrong, mom and dad can take care of. Wouldn't you like to have a life like that again? Huh? Yeah, I love the simplicity of that. And my world seems to be so much more complicated. We have trouble managing our own anxieties and concerns, and it makes us groan for heaven. That is something that is built into us. It's stamped on our very being by God himself. And uh, no matter how wonderful our lives are or whether we're suffering, there is that moment, that time to think, how long? Have you ever, have you ever asked that question, how long until Jesus comes? Hmm? You know, especially in the midst of complicated and difficulties and, 
and conflict and all that, complicated lives that we sometimes live and experience. We just kind of sit back in our chair, maybe just ask the question out loud. Jesus, how long till you come again? Uh, you know, I, uh, I am guilty of doing that. And uh, this week as I was kind of experiencing the worst of this head cold thing that's going around, I, it would have been okay with me, you know, if God had answered my prayer and said, Jesus, how about today? Why don't you just come today and take me away from all of this, right? The suffering, let, let, let this suffering be gone. No more of this. All of you who would have uh, been caught up in the rapture, you, you would be able to thank me for that, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus would just come on request? That would, be, that would be an incredible thing. But you know, that, that groan, if you will, that longing, that desire that we experience, how long do we have to wait for Jesus to come again, is an indelible part of what and who we are as human beings. Um, this is the thing that we are waiting for. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and verses 16 and 17 this is the moment we are waiting for. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's what we're longing for. That groan is all about that. And, uh, you know, while we wait here on earth, and I'm not saying that, you know, earth is just one big miserable, you know, suffering. No, there's certainly wonderful and, and grateful parts of that where sometimes, you know, the, the ache in our soul is ignored for a while or forgotten about while we're enjoying whatever's before us. But sooner or later, we always find that place again. And it will never go away until we see Jesus. And that's the hope. Because here, and, and we kind of run to the, to the back of the book, uh, back of uh, Scripture, our, our Bibles, Revelation 21, 4, uh, says this, and, and this is the, the realization that, that we will experience. It says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That's what we're going to experience, and that will finally be the moment when the ache in our soul will leave forever because we will have experienced the very thing. We will be once again in the environment, if you will, that we were created to exist in. And uh, we will be returned to that and when we are with the Lord for the rest of eternity. But in the meantime... We, uh, we experience things that, that remind us that this is not yet heaven, okay? You know, it's uh, when uh, I was um, in bed, unable really to, to get out of bed this, this past week, 
uh, I was reminded that this is not yet heaven, okay? <laughs> heaven doesn't look like this. Heaven doesn't feel like this. <laughs> and, uh, and, it's, and yet that's what we long for. Um, it's in those times of suffering, and, and suffering can come in a, in a huge number of ways. Uh, emotional suffering, uh, spiritual suffering, physical suffering, of course. Um, but uh, sometimes even the environment in which we live uh, can weigh upon us. Sometimes we feel like what uh, Peter calls righteous lot. If you uh, are taking notes there, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, uh, kind of, I think, describes the effect that you and I are living in right now. And we're just kind of jumping in the middle of a narrative here. It says, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So what is Peter describing there? Lot living in Sodom. He, it says that, his soul, and I like the King James version of this, it says his righteous soul was vexed every day when he observed the wickedness around him. And I think that's certainly uh, a day in, uh, in like the one that we are living in. Um, and, and, you know, the... Uh, Oh, the effect of that upon our, our own soul. You know, when, when we see the, that kind of wickedness around us, it diminishes, I think, so much the pleasure of the world in which we live. You know, God designed everything uh, in the world for our pleasure, for our enjoyment. But wickedness and sin diminish that. And, uh, and we experience that kind of uh, groaning. My, uh, my mother was telling me something that just kind of uh, was something that shocked her and especially in the small town in which she lives and there, is, there is a Walmart there and, and she and my sister go there and my sister comes down once a week and takes my mom grocery shopping and, and uh, she was telling me that uh, they were headed into the store and uh, just about that time the the doors open and there's a young man and he's carrying a large box. I'm not sure what was in the box, but he was carrying it out. And they were noticing that, that there was a store employee running after the young man that was carrying the large box. And he was saying out loud, uh, sir, sir, would you like to pay for that, that box before you leave the store? And uh, he just didn't hardly break stride and he just kind of turned and said no and kept walking 
And my mother, of course, was scandalized by this, that somebody who so brazenly would just steal something from a store. And how it, if you will, it um, uh, oppressed her righteous soul, if you will. And when we live in that kind of environment and we see these things happening and, and absurd things and things that are just uh, indisputably wicked, uh, it oppresses our righteous soul. And there's a kind of a groaning that uh, we feel inside. And, and, and again, that is, that is the longing for the world in which we were designed to live in and that for us, of course, is heaven. And uh, sometimes we want it to be here already. It is at times, I think, we're vexed over these things that are done so wrong and such disdain for what is right. It um, makes us long for heaven and ask the question, why is it taking so long? Have you ever wondered that? Why doesn't Jesus just get with it and come and get us and get us out of here, huh? I, uh, I am ready to go. Uh, and times I even ask the question, why is it taking so long? Well, um, you know, when we have a destination firmly in our minds, we want often to push through and the journey and get to the destination. Now, uh, if you grew up taking road trips as a kid, um, that was kind of the great American thing to do, right? Is road trips and kids are in the back seat and mom and dad are up in the front and, uh, you know, whatever the destination is, you know, maybe, maybe it's grandma's house uh, for Thanksgiving or, you know, maybe it's uh, some place we like to go. And uh, inevitably, in the journey while we're trying to get there, uh, the question comes from the back seat to the front seat. And, uh, and that is, how much longer is it going to take, right? And uh, I don't know that there was ever an answer from the front seat of the car to the back seat of the car that satisfied. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. You know, because why? The children don't have the same concept of, of time that you and I do. And we might, you know, say three hours uh, you know, we got left to drive or, you know, whatever to, to get to our destination. And they don't understand three hours. I think oftentimes it seems like Jesus is taking so long to get here that uh, sometimes we feel like, you know, we just give up uh, waiting for Jesus, just taking so long. Why? Because I don't think we understand the same things that he understands. Um, I think it's Peter that, uh, that says, you know, that um, why, trying to answer the question of why, um, you know, Jesus tarries in coming back for his church, and that is because he is not willing that any should perish. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like I, I, have, I have to admit to a certain amount of selfishness in thinking, well, well, I'm saved, so it's okay if he came right now. You know, if you're not saved, I feel bad for you, but, you know, let's, let's go. And, uh, and yet, Jesus isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and salvation. 
in him. And so, you know, if, uh, if you want Jesus to come sooner, if you want Jesus to come more quickly, then I would uh, encourage you to support missions on a regular basis, okay? Because that is how we get the job done. That's how everybody who's going to save and going to be saved gets saved. And, uh, and then Jesus will come for his church. And so um, a lot of times we don't understand time, just like children don't understand time. You know, it's like when waiting for Christmas, you know, how excruciating is that process when you're three years old or, you know, five years old? Um, it, uh, it's, it's hard. You know, what does two weeks mean, you know, when you're, when you're three years old? And what does three sleeps mean? Um, you know, it, it took forever just waiting for the most incredible event of our lives. Uh, you know, the unparalleled joys of Christmas morning, you know, presents, treats, family, privileges, all too good to be true. And, uh, and so if we can understand that, you know, we are waiting for this event to happen and we keep asking how long. And every time that, you know, we groan within ourselves, Jesus, when are you coming? When are you going to deliver us from all this difficulty that we find ourselves in? Um, waiting for heaven is a lot like waiting for Christmas when you're uh, a child. No more brokenness, no more growing old, no more sorrow. We can hardly stand waiting and we yearn for it. For how long? For how long? Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4 uh, Paul talks about this groaning again. And he says, for we who are in this tent, in other words, this body that you and I uh, are living in, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, or Paul's figurative language here, not that we want to die, but, further, but be further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And that's, and that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're longing for. And, then, and Paul says, when we groan in this life, this is what we want. Not that we want to die, but that we want mortality to be swallowed up by life. And that's what we're going to experience when Jesus comes for us. And uh, we can't help it. You know, this is the only life that we have ever lived and it's not like we've been at this place before. You know, living this day is the only chance you'll get to live this day, right? And tomorrow will be a whole nother day. You'll get one shot at it. You, we can't go back. Now, there are a lot of days I wish I could go back and live again, right? Both for good reasons and not so good reasons. Um, but... You know, we've only, we're only going uh, this way one time. And as wonderful as the destination is that we are going to, we can appreciate the ride and, and the waiting and the journey as well. But each day by itself. So understand, um, in, in the waiting process, when we're focused on the destination, uh, that is... More often, you know, what I think, you know, we, we do is focus on the destination. It seems like the journey is long and uh, it seems like we'll never get to the end. However, not to say that the journey is, is something that we can't enjoy. Uh, sometimes, you know, there are times when we even 
want the journey more than the destination. Sometimes the journey of our lives is so pleasant we don't want it to end and and we can care less for the destination because it seems too far away and too much to think about while we're enjoying the moment more than we think we will enjoy the destination. You know, heaven... um, if you, if you read all of the scripture, you won't find an incredible great amount of description of heaven in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's kind of uh, shocking. Now we know certain things about it, of course, uh, that there will be gates there and uh, they will be made of one pearl. We see that picture in the Revelation and streets that are are paved with gold and and, uh, such things, but we don't have a lot of detail of what heaven is like. And so sometimes, you know, without that to to think about and to understand, you know, we focus more on the journey, and and that's okay. I've had um, a lot of young people, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, admit to me that... uh, they did not want Jesus to come back yet. And I said, well, really, why? And uh, they said, well, I don't want Jesus to come back because I want to get married and I want to have kids and I want to have a house and I want to have all of these other things before Jesus gets back. And, And why do we sometimes think that way? You know, that heaven can wait uh, because I'm enjoying this right now. And, and caught up in that thought is that heaven couldn't possibly be as good as what I'm experiencing right now. I mean, really, that's the basis of that thought. You know, the fear of missing out. If I get to heaven, I'm going to miss all of this. And, of course, you know, that's, um, I think, just a, a lack of understanding about heaven and uh, what we are going to experience there, you know, the Corinthian letters, he says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Sometimes we haven't even seen it or imagined it. And, uh, and so we sometimes focus more on the journey than the destination. Um, I think sometimes we, we just fail to understand that our future heavenly reward is so much better than anything that we can know here on earth. And we can't envision heaven. And, uh, and so we are willing to settle for what we do know in the here and the now. Paul wrote the Corinthian believers who were caught in this tension between the journey and the destination. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I think that's important for us to, to 
totally understand is, uh, you know, as wonderful as this life is and some of the joys and, and pleasures that we experience in this life, it's all temporary. You know, all the, all the good things that uh, we enjoy here in this life are only for a moment. And maybe they help, you know, us forget and distract us away from, you know, some of the, the things that make us groan here on earth. But we have to remember that uh, they are only temporary. And the, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Do we see heaven yet? No, not yet. But it is eternal. You know, the, the things that bring us pleasure here on earth, you know, and whatever they may be. Um, you know, if you buy yourself a, a new truck, um, how, many, how many like a new vehicle, new truck, a new car? Yeah, that's, that's pretty nice. But have you ever noticed um, that new trucks become old trucks? <laughs> have you ever noticed that process? You know, that thing that you're driving away and it just, you know, everything works so well and comfort and uh, all of those, you know, things that we enjoy about new vehicles. Uh, how does that process happen to where, you know, it was a new truck today, but, you know, not very far down the road, it's an old truck or an old vehicle. Um, why? Because the things that, that sometimes we focus on in this life, the things that we see are temporary. And, and they're wonderful and fun and good and uh, all of those things, but they are not eternal. And, uh, and so um, there is that, that, that tension sometimes, you know, between just enjoying the journey that, that we're on, but also longing for the, the destination. Let's get there. Let's see Jesus. Paul spoke of his own struggle um, with this tension. And that uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 26, Paul writes of his own uh, situation here. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What, what are you saying there? Just to live is to live and work for the Lord. And, and that's good. But to die is even better. Why? Because then I'll be with Christ. That's what he's talking about. He says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident in this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So Paul is saying, hey, I'd rather move on. I want to move up. i I've grown long enough. I want to go see Christ. But for your sakes, for your sakes, I'm going to stay and enjoy the journey with you. And sometimes, you know, we feel that, that tension um, in, our, in our own heart, in our own spirit. But I, uh, I want to just say, you know, um, I think it's important for us as Christians to understand this groaning, if you will, and I don't mean to paint any sort of bleak picture of life. 
because there certainly uh, is much to enjoy and, and much good that uh, God has given us. So, so don't get the idea that I'm thinking that life is just a sad, you know, experience altogether. But I think the point that uh, we, we do make uh, for you is the fact that even when things should be okay, even when things should be right, and we feel this longing in our soul, we can identify what that longing is. And that is our desire to be in heaven with Jesus. And, uh, and that's the pull that we have from this life. Why? Because that's the world that God created us for. That is the place that, that we were designed to be with him. And, uh, and we have the opportunity to, you know, enjoy this life and to, you know, work for Christ and, and to lead others to know him as well. But it will never replace that longing to be with him forever and ever. I don't know if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but maybe there are times in your life you've never given your life to Christ, but you've sensed a longing that you can't understand. To those who don't understand it, it can lead to despair. Know that the uh, epidemic of suicide is is huge in our country, and I think a lot of that. What what is that? It's suicide is is the outcome of despair in our lives, where we we know something's not right, something's missing. Why am I not happy? Why am I not enjoying life? Or I can't recover from some of the mistakes I've made and there's no way out. If you understand that groaning that's, that's in your spirit, that it's a longing for a place you've never been before. It's longing for the place you were designed to live in. It's the place where Jesus is. And by inviting Christ into your life, you have the hope of that longing to be satisfied when he comes for his church, when he comes for you, when we go to be with the Lord forever. Well, you have that privilege today to invite him into your heart. And it's a simple process we, for the ability to memorize it. We call it ABC. A is to admit that we're sinners. By admitting that I'm a sinner, we agree with Scripture. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 goes on to say, uh, For the wages of sin, which we've all sinned, the wages of sin is death. Here's the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the good news. And when we admit that we are sinners, it gives us an opportunity then to go to, to uh, step B, which is to believe. Do you believe that Jesus can and will forgive you of your sin? Yeah. That's why he came to earth. That's why he died on the cross. It's that 
when you ask him, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? He say, yes. And he'll remove your sins. The, the scripture says that it says, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. He'll wash them clean. And you start with a new slate, a new chapter in your life of knowing Christ as your Savior and Lord. And then, and then the final step is to confess him as Lord. You've admitted your sinner. You've sought forgiveness of sin. And then confess him. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's yours today. If you want to invite Christ into your heart, your life today, would you bow your head and, and uh, you can just join with me today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we admit that we're sinners. We've said things with, that weren't true. We have done things that weren't right. And Lord, we have sinned. But today, Lord, we look to you for that gift of eternal life through Jesus. So Jesus, would you forgive us of our sin? Would you come into our heart? We confess you today as our Savior and Lord. And Lord, that you would change our thinking and our behavior to become more like you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we just, uh, at the close of this service today, Lord, pray that you would just always ignite that hope within us. And Lord, some days when we groan, Lord, more than we want to or think we should, let it remind us that we are waiting for heaven.